G'day trail runners. Welcome to the Trail Runners Experience with Ashley Drew and Daniel Ferugia. Put your headphones on, put your shoes on, and let's go running. Yeah, how's your run this morning? Oh yeah, good. Good. I, yeah. Um, so I got in 20Ks and then um, I had uh, coffee with um, the person who's looking at, uh, they wanted to go through their running schedule and race schedule and stuff, so we did that. And then um, and I had mm. a, a chocolate milk and uh, then I had to run 3Ks home, well, yeah, that three k's home was um. Oh, nice. Weird. Let's go it's with like weird. A, a milkshake. <laughs> it became a milkshake. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, cool. So yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, you can walk. <laughs> well, I, I did walk. But I, a twenty-two minute three k is definitely walking a lot of it. But yeah. Um, yeah. It. Uh, I saw. I. I had weird pins and needles running all through my body. So. Yeah, I'm not sure what was going on there, but the 20k bit was really good. Oh, good. No, you look good. Look good. Um, so. very good. Um, yeah. So uh, we're into it. We're in. Uh, um, I was going to say, well, before I get too far, so I ended up doing a, an episode. Uh, sorry, an interview with Brody Sharp from the Run Smarter podcast, only because he just it was a uh, long story short. It was the only time we could talk. It was a really weird time, and then so we just did it. So I feel <laughs> like I'm cheated. I've cheated on you. Um, no, it's all good. Yeah, no, but he's good. He's a really interesting, um, interesting guy. Really knows his, he knows his stuff. He's a physiotherapist. Um, he really articulates things really clearly, and he's got no secrets. You know, he doesn't as in he's he's not he's. He loves giving away not the knowledge that he's got, you know, in terms of, yeah, yeah and so what to do. So we had a really, we talked a lot about, um, you know, common running injuries and how people can either avoid them or, uh, or sort of recover from them. And so, you know, plantar fasciitis and um, runner's knee as well. And so, I think a lot of people will get will actually get something out of this. And so, um, it's funny, it's a bit of a spoiler for for people. It was a um, the number one recovery thing. This is recommended by a physiotherapist. Can you guess what it was? I'm going to go so swimming. Recovering from an injury of sorts. What did you say, swimming? Yeah. Uh, no, it wasn't swimming, although that was good. It, it was so funny. It, and um, well, not just recovery from injury, but also preventing injury. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you have another crack at it. Um, what do you think's number one for preventing walking, walking? No, sleep and good nutrition. Sleep and good nutrition. Well, there you go. So, so well, I would consider those things automatic, but yes, exactly. That's yeah, but I do think we get too bogged down into the uh, the fine detail um, yes. of before people look at the big pictures. Like, well, before you look at the one percent stuff. Look at the ninety nine percent, you know. So, uh, but no, it's really good. And so, yeah, it was, it'll be a, it's a good discussion. Uh, I, <clears throat> yeah. So I, um, I am a firm believer that nutrition is the number one medicine 
that we take every day, but people don't think about it that way. Oh, absolutely. It's it's nutrition. It, it's supposed to be nutritious, you know. It's Correct. to fuel to fuel you, and um, and it's not just fueling your giving you energy. People just I think people think about food in just term, in terms of energy, but it's it's not. It's in terms of um, recovery and health and just your ability to, for your brain to work properly, and you know because that's the most important organ, you know. It, it's telling everything else what to do, and so if yeah, if you if you're well fed with lots of if you're eating lots of nutritious food, you can eat lots of it. You know, you can eat more. And um, but yeah, so that's yeah, I I think we're in agreement. But anyway, but tell me about uh, tell me about your your running week, Ashley. Uh so <laughs> it's been a bit funny actually. Um, it was Saturday. Saturday was crazy humid and I got out of bed early to go to a, a, a nice long run and I got five kilometers in and I went nah, nothing's working today this is not right I'm I'm packing up going home and going back to bed which is what I did so, oh, I've done that before. Um, you know sometimes you just got to listen and say hang on a second this is not not good right now and uh, so I went back to bed, and then um, Saturday afternoon, I uh, went back out, felt great, got in yep. a very comfortable, cruisy 15K at a, at a reasonable clip. So you uh, needed that it was, sleep. It was way yeah. warmer in the afternoon, but I, I just, I needed, I obviously needed the rest, and, and I also needed the fueling or the nutrition Speaking of nutrition that we've just covered, I, I really yeah. need to eat during the day. So, um, yeah, all those things. Whereas, I, as I was saying this morning to uh, the people I was running with, I said, if I want to get in two runs a day, I actually have to really be careful about what I eat uh, during the day. If I go mm. overboard on food, I can't run in the afternoon. Mm. So I have to be very smart about my nutrition intake during the day to be able to do a, a double run day. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but on Saturday, I, I just I went. Oh, I don't think I'm going back out for a run. And I just I just ate and ate and ate. Um, and then went. Oh, actually, I'm feeling all right right now. So I'll just head out and yeah, it all kind of oh, clicked together. Yeah. Um, the double run is interesting. So um, it's really good. How do you find your your body responds to the double run? Because a lot of people freak out about it. And... Oh, look, sometimes it likes it and sometimes it hates it. Yep. So uh, uh, yesterday, to give you an example, I think I ran I ran either 43 or 44K yesterday. And um, so I did a 24K in the morning, then I did a 5K, and then I did a, I don't know what I did in the afternoon, maybe another 14K. Um and so that Garmin said, no, your day's been completely unproductive, et cetera. Um, but those sort of days are productive, even though, you know, they don't necessarily feel like it. By the, by the final sort of 4K of the afternoon, yeah, I was feeling pretty stuffed. Um, but this morning I ran really nicely, at least for the first 20K. Um, and it was a very productive run this morning, and that was because of yesterday's load. So 
Whereas if I hadn't done that, I don't think I would have got this morning's run yeah. in as nicely. Yeah. So, yeah, that sort of thing, um, it has its – it, it needs to be done properly. And yeah. it needs to be done with some thought. But it is – although it's uncomfortable, it works. When, yeah. When put in the program correctly. Just chucking in double run days because you think you should run twice because you didn't cover enough kilometres in the morning isn't real smart. Like, you need to actually have a reason for doing it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and I mean, it is a good way to, to boost the mileage. And obviously, you just, as you say, you've got to do it gently and carefully. You know, otherwise... You do. It's yeah, all, you'll end I up... find it's a bigger mental challenge than a physical one. Oh, really? No, I yeah. actually love... I love the second run. I, I find... I generally have more bounce on my second run than I do on the first one. Um, and... Yeah, it's um, yeah, I, I enjoy it, but it's definitely, I, I guess, towards the end end of the week can get harder, you know. So um, so yeah, it sounds like you're you're doing well, and you're a bit like me. You had a relatively lower mileage week last week, and um, yeah, I, I had less than a hundred k's last week. So disgusting, Ashley. I don't know how you, can, <laughs> you <laughs> so lazy, man. It was. Um, it, it actually felt like that too. To be well, quite honest. Yeah, I know. It's um hard. Well I had an even lower mileage week than you because um and it wasn't for lack of trying. It's just it was one of those things where parenting duties really were um became such a big focus that I I didn't even crack sixty kilometers for the week. It's the lowest week I've had. Um aside from taper and recovery weeks, um, it's the lowest week I've had in months and months, you know. So it was um probably good though because i feel really uh fired up now to to really to really put some massive weeks on um yeah some massive runs on the board so to speak before the end of this month to really and yeah everything feels fantastic so it's um yeah it's it it was frustrating because i didn't even get to get out for my long run on the weekend which i I think over saturday and sunday on saturday i ran 10 kilometers and I literally had no other time that I could have gone outside of that. Main reason being, my, so my wife is a nurse, and um, she was on call on the weekend, and she got called in twice. She worked all day Saturday, and so obviously I, it's um, illegal for me to leave my small children home alone. And um, yeah, it so, definitely is. Yeah, and then um, on the Sunday, she was. Uh, called in again for part of the day and even when she's home I, I can't actually be more than um, more than 10 minutes from the house if I do go out yeah. running and so quite often that's why I'll go and run in circles somewhere nearby or um, do little out and back sections but it's frustrating because I've got these beautiful trails right there and on Sunday I want to get out and run on the trails and I couldn't do I couldn't make it to the trails because of that and then it just it, I thought oh, I'll run in the evening, and then by the time the evening came around, it was just, it was all a bit tricky, and so I just went to bed, and I thought, I'll start fresh on Monday morning, and I did, and um, it, it was really funny, I felt really disappointed in myself for not getting enough running in, and I don't know if you've ever felt this, like I was super disappointed and annoyed at myself, and um, just annoyed at the situation, because I was so pumped to go out the door and run, and but then I woke up Monday morning, and I thought, you know what? 
let's just look at that as an, it was an opportunity just to rest and spend some nice time with my kids. And then today, Monday, the oppor- was the opportunity to start from scratch again and just and go. And, you know, so I'm pretty, um, yeah, I feel much happier about things at the moment. And uh, so and I'm trying to double most days this week if I, um, if I can and, and uh, everything feels really good. So... Um, I think it, I think that's I think you've you've hit the nail on the head there. People who uh, run a lot and you know I seem to know a few of them. Um, mm-hmm. As soon as they can't run due circumstances outside their control, they feel completely guilty for missing training. However, I actually genuinely do believe that that sixty k week is probably significantly more beneficial than most people realise. And it, it, it one gives you a mental break. Yeah. And it makes you hungrier, which you've already yeah. discussed. But it also just gives your body that break it needs every so often mm-hmm. to to have a bit of a break. Without you're still going out for you're still running. Like sixty Ks is still yeah. a long way. Um, yeah. And for some people sixty Ks would be their biggest week of the year. So yeah. you know in perspective, I think that um, you'll find that that week is actually beneficial for you. And I dare say that in 12 weeks' time, you'll be going, holy dooly, I'm running really well. And it will yeah. have been that short week yeah. that brought you to be able to peak in you know, 12 oh, look, weeks' I, time. Absolutely. And I, I generally incorporate every couple of weeks as sort of a, a recovery week, but usually not by so much. And, um, and so, But at the end of the day... It is what it is. It was, as you said, it was beyond my control, and um, yeah, and I've bounced back. I mean, I'm, I'm Wednesday, we're Wednesday today, and um, I've already done almost sixty kilometres already this week, and so I'm I'm pretty pretty pleased. And I've just I told my wife on on Sunday night. I said, okay, as of Monday morning, I'm going to be getting up early to make sure I get a run in early, so I can at least guarantee that I've locked a run in and so and she will quite she quite often starts work at seven and so therefore I have to if I'm going to go for a run early I have to be back home by six o'clock because she leaves home at just after six and so it means getting up at 4 30 and you know it's, it's hard and um but I told her I said my alarm's going to go off no matter what I say you just kick me out of the bed don't like I will try and, and I, a couple of times I've said, nah, I need more sleep. I haven't had enough sleep. I'm tired. And she just goes, and, but she was good. She just goes, no, you, you want to do this. You got to get out. Remember the big picture, Daniel. And then, so she just, and then this foot comes and just kicks my, literally kicks my butt <laughs> out of the bed. And so I'm like, okay. And then once I'm up, once I'm standing up, have a drink, glass of water. I always do that when I wake up and I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm awake now. I might as well just go out and run and see what happens. And I mean, the other morning I went out and I did 10 kilometers really early before my wife went to work. And I, I don't even remember running it. I remember I got home and, I'm, and then I went back to bed because <laughs> I was, it was still, it was still six o'clock in the morning when I got back. And so, um, yeah, it was, it was, but at least I got the run in, you know, so I went, went back to bed for another hour. Um, so it is, running is such a time, 
it sucks so much of your time. And so sometimes, and when you're aiming for something big, you've got to really commit, you know. So, and that commitment is hard sometimes. So, um, the next couple of weeks for me, I want to maintain maintain the rage, so to speak. You know, I, I want to make if I can keep getting up and doing these early runs and it's a really nice time of year to be getting up and doing the early runs i mean it's very dark early in the morning here now days are getting much shorter but it's not it's not freezing cold it's not too it's a really lovely time to be out and um yeah and, and building up for the 100 miler i'm uh very excited i'm i'm pumped excellent so, yeah yeah excellent. so um yeah, it is. It is excellent. And so I, I, I don't know how you were, like something I've been thinking about a lot on my runs. When I was younger, I used to just run on emotion all the time, you know, I'd run and, you know, as I was gritty. And I, as, as I've gotten older, I'd run with a, li- a bit more focus, you know, and a bit more sensibly. But this week, even though I'm still running sensibly, I'm running with a bit of that, that, um, emotion that I had when I was a kid and it actually feels really good you know I'm just getting out there and just you know thinking about you know Rocky Balboa and getting getting really pumped up like that you know <laughs> just getting out yep. you know the classic you know um scene in Rocky where he's r- running through um I think it's Philadelphia and he runs to the top of the stairs like I've got that running through my head and I'm just like yeah yeah I can do this I can do this and um so you know it's good. You've got to run with it. You've got to go with it sometimes. Maybe I'm Absol- just going crazy. <laughs> no, I think you do need to just go with it sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've watched a couple of uh, fell running videos this week on YouTube and, ah. um, and a few more Barkley ones. But, um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, those sort of things, you know, they, they, as a general rule, they're pretty motivational. So, yeah. Yeah, they are. It's good to have that. Well, do you have a um a favourite fictional, like as in when I say fictional, it could be based on a true story, um, running movies. I'm not talking about like the race videos that you see on YouTube, but like um, you know, not I'm not saying I mean like Chariots of Fire, for example, like things that are actually cinematic. Do you have any favourites that come to mind? No, no, I couldn't no. even tell you one that I've watched to be honest. Oh. Mate, there's so many. They're great to watch. I'll give you one right. I'll give you a free tip right now. And um, it's just sometimes when you can't run, it's good to watch running things. And I love all the YouTube stuff that's out there. It's so awesome. There's so much content. But, you know, nothing like an old-fashioned movie. And um, there's the the Steve Prefontaine story, which is really good. There's, he actually made a few movies about his life. Um, I think there's one called um, just called Pre. And this is, I forget what the other one's called, but they're both really good. And then there's uh, a story, uh, the one called McFarland, USA. Have you ever heard of that one? No. Oh, it's, it's great. It's got Kevin Costner in it. It's only a few years old. And it's about um, Kevin Costner plays a coach of a high school cross-country team in this small town. And, um, and the town is, it's sort of, you know, it's typical, kind of very typical in a lot of ways. You know, classic underdog story, but it's it's you know it's running focused and it's about these boys that because most of the people in the community are about are um they're Mexican immigrants and they work on the they work on the the 
the orchards, you know, picking fruit and stuff like that. And it's really hard physical work and they're all very, they're quite poor and it's a, a rougher, a sort of rough town. Anyway, Kevin yep. Costner comes in and this is a true story, um, or based on, and basically he comes in and turns these kids into cross country runners. And yeah, it's, it's, I won't spoil it. I highly recommend it. If you're feeling like you need to get inspired, McFarlane USA. It's a really good movie. It was on Netflix. I'm not sure if it's still on there, but um, yeah, just, well, just what it's, running it's on changes. Netflix USA, so I'm not sure if it's on Netflix. Well, it's a Disney movie. It's Disney. I watched and it. Disney's yeah, pulled everything now. over their own channel now. Yeah, oh, that's a fair point. I'm sure you can get it somewhere, whether you, yeah, if you get it on that Disney Plus or whatever. But um, it's, yeah, it's a good one to watch. And of course, when I'm feeling like I want to get really motivated, I watch Rocky. Pretty much any one of the first four. I love him. <laughs> yeah, Rocky Four when he went over to Russia and fought the fought oh, uh, yeah. Ivan Drago, so good. And um, you know, it's also very um, American patriotism and and stuff, and so classic Cold War kind of thing. But how's it, I mean, how can you not love it? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, we're going off the topic. It's not a, not running at all, but I guess inspiration matters, you know. You've got to find your inspiration somewhere. Inspiration yeah. does matter. Yeah. I, I always think inspiration matters more than motivation. I, I think, yes, I, I agree with that. It kind of, I feel like it's a precursor to motivation. You know, you watch something, get you inspired, and... Um, you know, or a person might get you inspired, and then you get out, and and that can turn into motivation. But I find motivation and inspiration they're very fleeting, and that's why I'm a big believer in in setting up good routines. You know, having I a good, think I, you're yeah. spot on about that. They're definitely fleeting, and if yeah. you don't have, if you if you don't have the routine there, it makes things a lot more difficult. Yeah, but no, but yeah, it's, um. Routine matters the most, but it's really good um, that you're running well, and and I guess I'm running pretty well too. So I guess that there's not much else to talk about other than uh, me putting this. Um, we jump into the interview that I did with Brody. Excellent. Yeah. Fantastic. All right, Brody Sharp from the Run Smarter Project. Oh, Run Smarter Podcast, I should say. Run Smarter Podcast. I look forward to listening to it. Yeah. Cheers. So many runners are self-coached at the moment, and you know they, you know they Google, you know plantar fasciitis and or whatever, like the those common running injuries. You know the old yeah. runners, runners knee. The the thing is though, it's a balance of you can. I mean the treatment. But a lot of it comes back to the training as well. Like they're not training properly. It is, and a lot of people have like misguided with all the evidence or like all the research that they find on Google and on yeah. other Facebook groups and forums and stuff like that. It's it's not their fault. Like, what are they meant to think? Because they haven't been um, educated. They haven't gone to uni. Like they're just looking for answers. And then unfortunately, you type in a question on Google, and so many things come up. And a lot of it is. Mm. Um, like misleading a lot of it is not evidence driven a lot of it is just um people trying to make money out of um selling products and yeah it 
like it really leads people down a, a poor path and just looking like on Facebook groups and someone says I have plantar fasciitis and what should I do? And there's a lot oh. of sound advice in there, but there's a lot of really terrible stuff. You're slapping your forehead and you're like, oh my God, what? Like oh. it's going to make things worse. Oh, it's the same. As a coach, I see it as well. And just in how people, you know, they put in, they'll, they'll put a question, yeah, on a forum, on a, and then you just, and the same thing, you get, you'll get 50 comments on there and there might be a handful of really good, good advice, but it's like, it's almost like just a, a fluke, you know, like half the, you know, For sure. I don't even, sometimes I don't even, I can't even get, um, I go, what am I, I'm going to write something, but then I don't, I, I don't want to, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, it's, it's so yeah, it's good that you've got a platform and cause you work as a physiotherapist as well. Is that right? So I've been a physio um, for the last, or this is my eighth year oh. now as a physio, and maybe I think uh, sort of delving into the running population probably the last five years or so, and it was probably just once I became a runner myself and started seeing clients in um, my clinic, and as soon as you sit down, you'd find out they're a runner. There was just like this added passion of seeing them once um once I became a runner myself and was going through the same issues, like I would always have, I'd always be injured and um, learn about cadence and learn about training. And I just, as soon as I saw a runner in the clinic, that like sparked a lot of passion getting them back to the track. And I suppose that's what, um, so becoming a runner myself really um, leaped my career forward into dealing yeah. with this population. And it's an ever growing population. It's becoming very popular at the moment. I mean, yeah. the, the it's boomed, really boomed the last five or six years, I, I, I've noticed. Um, and with the boom, there's, I guess the number of injuries also booms. <laughs> well, here's the so, thing, like yeah. runners, like they do like a lot of research around this thing, but they say anywhere between 50 to 80% of runners get injured within a given year. And not only that, like once you overcome that injury, you also... Um, Likely, like if you succumb to an injury, that's a huge risk factor for sustaining other injuries as well. And not only is the running population becoming like a lot more popular, but they also get like injured quite a lot. It's quite a risky sport to participate in. So yes. it is an interesting population to um, cover because there's a huge need for people who like education, like injury prevention and um strengthening and performance there's a big need for that yeah and there's absolutely um a high correlation that i've seen and i'm sure you've seen it between and it, i mean i know that there's evidence i can't cite any right now but the correlation between the, like staying injury free for a longer period equates to better performance over time you know so absolutely. i mean i'm sure yeah i just i, I mean you think about some of the great marathon runners and out there and you know this this that's why you've got to be smart with your training so you're not overloading and your strength and you're doing the, the sort of keeping things balanced you know in terms of your maybe strength work or um preventative stuff as well as not overtraining, which we get that's a huge thing it's just and yeah so um like just speaking personally so of this last as i said what was it since um July, so in June last year, I had an injury. I had a, um, a, I had a stress reaction in my femur, and it was 
um, and I know, I more or less know what it was. My iron levels were a little bit low, which is a common thing for runners. When I was, I was in pretty full on training at the time, and I just, I overdid it, and I, and I wasn't eating properly, and I, I overtrained, and the, you know, I went and saw all the right people, MRI, and yeah, there was a, so it was like almost at a point where it was a stress fracture. I lost, and I think if I had kept training, it would have got bad. It was very painful, and then I had, um. I had six weeks off, and since then, I've just really I'm way more attentive to my rest and recovery and my nutrition and my um and keeping myself strong. And so I, I've been so basically since July I've trained really steadily and um and I feel fitter than I ever have in my running life. So it's um yeah consistency over period over a long period definitely helps, doesn't it? I'm I'm glad you made that point because it's. Like you said, it's it's almost like a series of making smart decisions throughout mm. like the course of a couple of weeks, but then it's throughout the course of a couple of months and a couple of years. And um, runners don't usually make those smart decisions. And part of that is like personality driven. They want to just keep running. That's all they want to do is keep running, keep running, keep running. Um, and a lot of them are driven to high performance and perfection. And that's often a lead up to injury, but there's that personality side of things, but there's also the lack of knowledge side of things. And just the combination of those two leads to poor decisions and which will lead to injury and then will lead to recurrent injury or chronic injury. And in turn, it's, it actually hinders your performance and creates this barrier between what you can, what your potential is. So, um, yeah, you make a good point there. It is making smarter decisions and a lot of runners learn, uh, the hard way, like you say, with your stress reaction, it's okay. Looking back on it, my nutrition probably wasn't the best. My recovery probably wasn't the best. I might have pushed too hard, and I'll learn from that moving forward. So hopefully, um, it's been a good lesson for you. And it really has. Um, yeah, mm. and runners hopefully can learn from their past scenarios instead of um, making the same mistakes over and over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, and having that ability to reflect, I think, is important. Um, reflecting on injuries and not just saying, "Oh, it was unlucky." I mean, there are, I think there are unlucky injuries, you know. But um, I think a lot of injuries are, and as I'm sure you would agree, are preventable. <laughs> yeah, eighty percent of running injuries are due to uh, training errors. Yeah. And so there are the unlucky ones. I'd say unlucky would be mainly in the realm Tripping of over. yeah. Um, falling, rolling ankles, um, just trauma-based, but we don't see them a lot. Maybe in trail, maybe in ultras, it's a little bit more common than, say, just someone training for a marathon, but it's um, 80% are a very, like, 80% is quite a lot when we're coming to just overuse injuries, and they can usually be prevented if you're just making smarter decisions. Yeah, it's so... Um, interesting. So what would you say are the most common, if I had to ask you, like, what are the most common un- running injuries that you come across in, as, a, as a physiotherapist and just in your experience? Uh, with runners in general, if we wanted to focus on a location, it'd be the knee. Like, I'd say yeah. um, that would be 60% of what I see for running. Um, and most commonly in females, and uh, like uh, diagnosis specific, I would probably say patellofemoral pain, 
uh, which is just like pain around the, the kneecap, and it's probably the most prevalent injury runners can have. Um, yep. Yeah, so that's what I'd most likely see in clinics. And so I guess I'm, I'm imagining lots of my listeners right now are nodding their head who have either had it or uh, experiencing some form of pain right now in their knee as they listen to this podcast. Um, what would you say, what sort of treatments would you look at, obviously, without, I mean, giving away too many trade secrets, but obviously you, you, that's not a concern for you because you have a podcast. Yeah, I'm happy to <laughs> that, give away all trade secrets. 100% yeah. of the trade secrets I'm happy to give away. Uh, oh, look at that. And And actually, before I go any further... Before you answer that question, just so people, because we've sort of just launched into this conversation, and so I'm talking to Brody Sharp from the Run Smarter podcast, and um, it's the Run Smarter podcast you've had for a number of years, and really awesome for knowledge, education uh, about running. You talk to a bunch of interesting people, um, and so yeah, so that it's and how long, what, when, what year did you start the podcast? Yeah, so this is where it gets a bit complicated. So I've got um, two podcasts at the moment. So the one that's been going on for a couple of years it was my uh, interview style and uh, interview style podcast, and that was called Everyday Running Legends, and that was yep. me interviewing just any runner I could think of, uh, anyone who wanted to come share a really motivational story, and that would be someone like training for their first. Um, park run it'd be someone who's just done 50 marathons in a row it's um anyone in between and that was um, a bit of a passion project for a couple of years 116 episodes and then uh past two or three months i've now launched this podcast called the run smarter podcast and that's more mm. me delivering a lot of insightful tips and just trying to cover a whole topic of injury prevention and making smarter decisions. So we're starting to um, flow into injury-specific topics, but yep. the, a lot of it covers a lot of like universal principles like overtraining and diet and sleep and recovery, that type of thing, um, that every runner needs to know to make smarter decisions moving forward. Excellent. Yeah, so people um, should definitely go and have a listen and to both of your your old podcast, but your new podcast, I think a lot of runners would get out of that as well. Do, do, as soon as you finish listening to the Trail Runners Experience, pop on over and have a listen to, download a few episodes of the Run Smarter podcast and, um, yeah, and share the love. Um, so, yeah, no, and I notice you're doing quite well. Occasionally I look at the charts like and uh you're you're always right up there on the charts and you're doing you're quite popular all around the world so good for you man that's Thanks, a, mate. that's really commendable um so back to the question i just asked you uh which was about the the trade secret but how do we um treat the the runner's knee yeah uh so first line of defense is always okay um let's have a look at your training history and see what might have been a training error to cause it in the first place. And hopefully if people have made the smart decision and they're seeing me, they're seeing um, they're getting it assessed sooner rather than later. Let's just say they've had it for a couple of weeks rather than six plus months. Um, so we can go back a couple of weeks uh, for four weeks or so and see if there was a big jump in training. Because like I said, 80% of running injuries are due to 
training errors. So let's yeah. look at look look back if we look on your Strava or if we look on um, any tracking that you use and see if there was a big jump in either duration, in speed, terrain, change of shoes, all that sort of thing, um, yep. and helping address that, that would be the first line of defense. And then my um, next next point would be, okay, what's your general recovery looking like? Have you had any increase in stress? Have you had any in, like reduction in quality of sleep? Have you Has your nutrition been okay? Uh, those... Um, I guess they can go missed a lot of times when delving into a runner's history to see if something could not only um, bring an overuse, but if there's factors that can decrease your risk or decrease your ability to tolerate load and recover. So that would always be the first line of defense is working out uh, what has happened because a lot of people straight away dive into, is it biomechanics? Am I weak? Am I tight somewhere? Am, um, yeah, am I, am my feet collapsing in? Do I need new shoes? All this sort of stuff. And that's usually what Google will come up with as soon as you type in runner's knee when a lot of that just leaves you a bit puzzled and a little bit, um, like, uh, I guess there's yeah. too much information out there and people are just frazzled with finding Absolutely. the right answers. So they Google it and they come up with all these, all those answers when, Really, all it, all it could be is just a an error in training. And so that would be the first line of defense before I move forward and look at things like strength and running technique and that sort of stuff. Yeah, no, that's excellent. So you're getting to the source, so important. And um, I think you, you sort of alluded to like with the with sort of strength training as well. Um, people want to get stronger in a certain area. What are your thoughts on... Um, I don't know if this is going to, this is going to open a pretty big can of worms, I imagine, but strength training for runners. Yeah, so um, there's a lot of factors when it comes to running. There's a lot of factors why people get injured, and there isn't a huge correlation with um, a strong run. Like if you have a a thousand people and you look at you assess all the ones and say, okay, you've got the really really strong runners, the ones that demonstrate a lot of strength and on the other side you've got all these um, not so strong weaker runners they're all going to get injured at the same rate that's what the evidence shows there's too many factors uh, strength not being one of them but that's not to say that the stronger you are the more um, resilient you're going to be so a lot of the um, definitive evidence is the benefits of strength training and performance there is a lot of a lot of evidence to show if you get really strong and you do it correctly that your performance is going to get better. And that is for sprinters, that is for endurance athletes, um, anyone in between. Uh, your running efficiency becomes so much better, and you just yeah. have your um, the components of your muscle to deliver like um, surges within a race and that final like sprint at the end, and then just overall running economy really helps. Um, so that side of things, but there are a couple of individual studies out there to show that people with, say, patellofemoral pain, like that runner's knee, uh, do benefit a lot from um, hip strengthening and knee strengthening. And for individual, um, why is my microphone turning up? For individual uh, cases, like, say, for patellofemoral pain, the first line of defence is 
uh, sorry, the um, the biggest intervention you can have would be implementing some strength and impl- implementing a lot of um, resistance training for that joint to tolerate more load. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's that that is really good. I'm just, I mean, this is the um. Again, I'm bringing it back to my own running and obviously a lot of other runners. I've been doing strength training quite a, a uh, like a fair bit. I want to say a fair bit. I work with a personal trainer once a week. I've been doing that for about 18 months now. And, um, so it's, and she is a personal trainer who's really works with runners predominantly. And so she sort of knows, she doesn't over, she, she knows what she's doing. And, um, so for the, looking at the sample size of one, which is not an accurate sample size, but it's for, for me personally, um, at the age of 40, I feel fewer aches and pains. Um, with I'm doing higher mileage. And I do think a lot of that is to do with the strength training. And um, so some, there is a, a, I feel that there is a, um, a balance point between doing too much and where it impacts your running and i just recently I, I had a big session in the gym with her and um it affected my running for the whole week i was just really heavy legs and it made it hard to run and um so i've sort of learned to back it off a little bit so i guess there is that sweet spot isn't there yeah and it is a good move and there's um i interviewed this author um, richard blaygrove who has this book called um strength and conditioning for endurance runners and he breaks down a lot of myths when it comes to strength training and one of them being that um you'll be too sore and you'll have doms for two three days and it's going to impact your running and uh Yes, that is the case if you just start out strength training. Um, yeah. When you do something new, you're obviously going to have a lot of muscle soreness the next day. That's how the body recovers. That's how the muscles get stronger. Um, but if you stick to it for a good couple of weeks, probably four or five weeks, that DOMS become significantly less and your, um, like your body just gets used to it and you still get the benefits of strength training. Uh, if you are say strength training for a couple of months and you're noticing that you're still getting a lot of doms for two three days afterwards you're probably working a bit too hard um you're yeah. probably doing your strength training a bit too heavy a bit too fast um and like you said like you just implemented just maybe backing off a little bit absolutely yeah and look i still got i feel like i got the benefit out of it and um yeah it's it, it's it's been an interesting it's been interesting for my running, doing the strength training. And um, which actually, talking about strength training, so I guess the next thing I wanted to really think about is, this is sort of more for ultra runners I'm thinking about, but it applies to to all distance runners. Um, so like muscle fatigue in an endurance race, um, endurance, an ultra endurance event, and, you know, does can we use, can we use strength training to reduce that fatigue or make us you know stronger in later parts of a race? Like, is there real benefit there, or is it just going to be helping us in the short term? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And the 
my answer would be that like the evidence shows that strength training does um, aid running economy. So if you're if you've got a hundred mile race and you are more economical and you're more efficient with your stride um, throughout that, let's just say throughout the first 50k, you're going to treat that that last um, last half of the race a lot better because you're a lot more efficient the entire time throughout that. And so um, not only does strength training work on improving muscle efficiency, but it also helps coordination, it helps um, running technique, balance, all that sort of thing, which all like a little one percenters when it comes to a huge endurance yeah. race. And there is evidence out there to show that like they, they have ultra athletes go through strength training and then they reassess and they're performing a lot better. So there is a lot of evidence for endurance athletes as well. And one of the other, um, before I just ramble on, one of the That's other okay. myths out there is for endurance athletes, especially in the ultra community, they want to stay really thin and they want to stay, um, mm. they don't want to put on any additional weight. And one of the myths out there is if I start doing gym, I'm going to get way too bulky. I'm going to put on too much muscle. And it's definitely not the case. Like when it comes to putting on weight at the gym, really like diet is one of the really big factors. Like those who want to put on muscle when they're at the gym, they're having like eight to 10 meals a day. And that's where a lot of that, um, those gains come in. But um, Richard Blagrove talks about this thing called the interference effect. If you are doing strength training to increase muscle power, but you are also doing endurance uh, endurance work within that same week. There's like this inter- interference effect where you're not going to put on muscle. You're not going to do it if you're in- incorporating a lot of um, endurance activities throughout the week because the body right. just prioritizes endurance um, above all else. And so you're not going to get those same gains with, uh, you're not going to get those same um, weight gains, but you're going to, have um, that muscle strength reward. Yeah, okay. Oh, so that's yeah, that's really uh, interesting. And I think, so it's definitely something for me to think about. And I guess my, my runners who I coach too, because a number of them are doing various um, strength training to to balance out their running. And uh, I mean, I, I think that um, my mileage is generally a bit lower than what people are, People are generally surprised at how low my mileage and my own personal mileage is because um, I do the strength work, but I also, I guess because of fitting in training with lifestyle as well, you know, having three small children and, and working and doing a bunch of stuff, it gets really difficult. I mean, at, at the, big, the great challenge of the amateur athlete is to try and um, fit it all in around your life. And there's certain things that I have to prioritize above my training. And... Um, so I guess I'm trying to maximize my training time. I'm a huge believer in lots of easy running, and I think that's the uh, the, the the saving grace is that I I have the I think having the ability to run within a certain to to hold back, hold back, hold back. But then when it's time to do my speed work, I really I I have the the strength to to really throw down in my speed work. So and that's always been a, a real factor. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that would be in combination with your strength training really well if you're doing a lot of really easy miles because um, Mm. if you do have a bit of DOMS after a workout, you might feel a little bit stiff 
the next morning uh, with DOMS, but it, there's evidence to show it doesn't impact your um, endurance performance, especially if you're going for a, a easy run. If you're doing those easy days, you're um, you might feel a bit stiff for the first couple of minutes, but your yeah. it, it it quickly dissipates, and then you can um, yeah get just get those benefits and get those easy miles just with um, and then you've worked you've ticked off your strength training and you're ticking off your your easy miles, so um, it goes in combination really well. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, I get the tick of approval then. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I've tried doing speed work the day after I've done a, a weight session and it just doesn't, it's just not effective. Uh, no. So my legs just don't, I just can't lift my knees enough to really go fast. And, um, you know, 30 seconds per kilometer slower, even though my heart rate is through the roof. It, it, so I just know that I just don't have the strength. Oh, I, you know what I mean? It, it's, the legs are still trying to repair, you know, got that yeah. doms. So, yeah, it's balanced. And that's another thing is running hard. I think running hard when your body allows you to run hard, you know, I think there's a – you don't – I'm not a big believer in no pain, no gain. And so, you know, that the old philosophy, I'm, I always – I read it somewhere, no pain, no gain equals no brain. Um <laughs> I don't know, you know, so what do you, you know, people, and you hear it all the time, it's a real running sort of mint, like uh, mantra, you know, no pain, no gain. What are your thoughts on that motto? I mean, I'm talking sort of more generally with training. Yeah, I think that if there were, if, like, if people didn't believe in the no pain, no gain, I probably wouldn't have a job. And that's where (laughs) a lot of people make those, get those training errors and um, start getting injured because, a lot of it is personality driven, ego driven, um, competition, yeah. competing with mates, all that sort of stuff. And, um, yeah. seeing people on Instagram, how fast they run, how many miles they do and trying to compare. And, um, it's mm. when you do that, it's easy to put yourself into a, um, a mindset where you're just wanting to work as hard as you can. And from a, over, from an injury overload point of view, um, you're putting yourself at a really big danger for that. And there are times where you do need to train hard. There are times where you do need to do speed sessions, but you also need to be feeling really good. And um, I think you were alluding to a little bit of that at the start of the question. It's yeah. um, making sure you're combining your hard sessions smarter and having combination with recovery days and making sure your sleep and nutrition is um, up to scratch. I'm lucky enough to have an aura ring, which is a sleep tracker, which gives me um, a lot of health metrics around how well I slept the day before, but it also gives me these performance metrics and gives me a score of how well I slept, but also um, how well my body has recovered and how hard I can work out the next day. And a lot of times if I'm racing triathlons or if I have a really really hard training session i'll wake up the next morning and my recovery score will be super low and it says you need to take a rest day because your heart rate stayed elevated throughout the night um your body temperature was elevated etc etc and gives me those metrics which um is it's good to to fall back on and it also correlates really well with when i when i have say a triathlon race my um heart rate doesn't drop for another two days. So I make sure to have really, really light recovery sessions. Yeah, it's so good. Um, 
So the, it's called an aura ring, is it? Yeah, you have to get it from the states, and unfortunately, it's like three hundred US um, dollars or something like that, um, and you have to get shipped over. But uh, yeah, it's just like a ring. You just wear it, and it covers all all your metrics. It's mainly designed for sleep. You can do it a little bit for um, sports tracking, like you're running yeah. and that sort of stuff. But it isn't anything like a Garmin. It doesn't have um, a map and like how fast you've gone, your speed, your splits, and all that sort of stuff, but um, is mainly designed for sleep and recovery. That's fascinating. Um, it's so funny because you, you've a couple of times you've come back to talking about um, sleep and nutrition as being such important factors, and I 100% agree. Um, and like I, I religiously take a full day of, off, and that means I don't, tr- I don't do any training of any sort one day a week. So um, because my light, training load is quite high generally through the rest of the week, my body just cherishes that day off, you know what I mean? And um, yeah. and so, and and the sleep thing, I've got, I've, I've had a lot of discussions with people that I coach and I know some of them listen to this podcast and so I'm talking to you people <laughs> and anyone else who they will neglect. I mean, everyone's busy and I've had to do it as well, but they will push, sleep is not important, I'll sleep when I'm dead um but they um yeah they don't get enough sleep and they don't realize how important the sleep is and yeah. i i uh, i recently read this book and i've mentioned it on this podcast before and it's um by this american author named christy ashwanden it's called good to go and it's about um recovery strategies and she basically goes through and analyzes a whole bunch of different recovery strategies she looks at the, the first thing she does is she she does the strategy. So she does everything from the gimmicky strategies to like things that have good evidence. She'll, she'll actually attempt it and then she'll like do it herself and then she will um, look at, and then she'll talk about the, the research behind it. So it's really fascinating. So she looked at things like cryotherapy and infrared saunas and, um, and a whole bunch of like, like I think some famous basketballer took a bath in red wine or something <laughs> like that. And, you know, things that are crazy and that are supposed to – and ice baths and all that kind of stuff. And and you know what? And I bet you, you can guess the most effective – what proved to be the most effective form of um, recovery. Do you know what Back it is? Sleep. A, a good night's sleep. Yeah. Oh, there you go. So it was interesting. She said after all the things that she did, most of them um, were just – they, what they did was actually give the uh, the athlete a sense of agency that they were taking control of their recovery. So you know, people that are lying in a uh, in a if, if people have got the money and they want to lie in a red wine bath for an hour, <laughs> what they're actually doing they're, they're actually laying still for an hour. You yeah, know? relaxing. So they, they, they're relaxing. So the fact that they're in red wine is really not making a lick of difference, <laughs> except that they're wasting lots of money. And um, But, yeah, so it was really good to see. And so some days I do just hit the snooze button because I, like, I know I haven't had enough sleep. And then I'll just do my run later in the day or in the evening. And it's just – I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit lucky that I can do that. Um, but, yeah, it's tricky. There's no, there's no shortcuts to a good night's sleep. Yeah, and for parents especially, like if you've got three yeah. kids and um, it's hard to work within your lifestyle, it's it's really hard to to incorporate or to prioritize sleep. Um, yeah, 
I actually have a podcast episode on sleep, recovery, stress, all that sort of stuff, and combining. Um, there's an interesting interwoven relationship with stress and sleep and recovery and uh, running injuries. And so I break that all down in one episode, which is um, really beneficial and like a lot of people would, uh, well, need to know. It's it's crucial because everyone sleeps. Everyone needs good sleep. Yeah. Not a lot of runners get a lot of sleep and um, good quality sleep as well. So it's um, it's crucial if yeah. people aren't familiar with this idea already. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. It's funny, I, speaking to a physiotherapist, I would not have thought that we would be, be delving into sleep. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, 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 so, it's so funny because it is it's so important. And, you know, if I have a good night's sleep the night before a race, which is kind of rare, but I, um, I feel amazing the next day, you know, like in the run, because when if you've, you know, you've tapered right and you've got your, your nutrition right and you, you get to that start line and you feel fresh, oh, it's the best. No amount of caffeine is going to mm-hmm. uh, increase your performance the way a good night's sleep will. Do you yeah, know what I mean? I think so, in, in a couple of weeks I'll, I'm getting um, a sleep expert on to so I can um, pick her brain because there's a lot of stuff I don't know yet around um, sleep and so I want to try and get her um, information yeah. and learn myself especially like I've got a couple of nutritionists that are about to jump on as guests uh, and I've got Peter Maliaris who's a guest in a couple of weeks um, talking about tendinopathies and because there's a lot of areas that I don't know I don't claim to know everything but I want to know everything and I want to know all the different areas when it comes to injury performance and recovery yeah. and injury prevention and you have to widen your scope away from physio to get all these answers. And so it's it's good to delve into books. It's good to um, ask the experts. And the, the podcast has been a good avenue for that. Yeah, oh, I think it's fantastic. And you, I think it seems like knowing that you don't know something or admitting that you don't know something in its entirety is shows great wisdom. So Yeah. Um, so, and then it's hard for a lot of people to do. And it's yeah. interesting if someone has a particular... Uh, field of knowledge if someone um, if someone suggests a different area of focus they kind of recoil back and kind of get a bit more defensive like if you were to ask a physio um, who doesn't know about nutrition they might Mm. um, neglect or mitigate away from those topics because they don't know anything about but they think physio is the answer they think that's the one answer you know if you have um, what's the saying if you have a hammer everything looks like a nail and you like yeah. I can help you with physio, but the, they don't know much about the nutrition and stress and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, it, like you said, it shows a lot of wisdom if you go out to broaden your horizons rather than just recoiling back and getting more and more defensive. The more um, people try and challenge your ideas of thinking. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, and it's knowing it's it's just knowing the right questions to ask as well, um, and or even just because coming up with a good question is really hard sometimes, as you are probably aware. And being a podcaster, um, sometimes I don't articulate the questions the way I want the way they are in my brain, and um, but I guess you get better with experience. Um, I have a particular question for you now that relates to nutrition. How can you how can you describe the relationship that nutrition has with the physiotherapy aspect of what you do? You know, so in what way does it, does having a good diet help your um, your knees 
and prevent injury, prevent, you know, like prevent all these overuse injuries. We've sort yeah. of alluded to it a few times. Yeah, well, diet aids recovery and helps your body replenish from like a hard workout. And we can get really detailed into like, um, like inflammatory kind of components of your diet, which can um, trigger a lot of um, pain signals, that sort of thing. I don't know a whole lot about that. I'm actually got a whole bunch of questions to ask the um, sports dietitian that is coming on. Um, but when it comes to the recovery side of things, you, um, I'm not too sure if you're familiar with the red S um, syndrome. It's like Government. a, yes, there's, it's like a, um, relative energy deficiency in sport and your what essentially is is um is the energy your output of energy when you have like a, a workout if you have a run you um deplete your body of energy where is that energy coming from where is it being replaced from and if you get your energy from rest and recovery and you also get it from your nutrition and so a lot of these um when it comes to this red S syndrome, it's a lot of times people work really hard, but then they get less nutrients. Their, um, their diet isn't as adequate. They're not eating enough to equal their energy output. And so when that diet that's coming in doesn't equal that energy output, the body has to start getting that energy from somewhere. And so what does it do? It extracts all that. You could say energy, but it's like minerals from your organs, from your bones, from um, your yeah. ligaments, all that sort of thing, and will lead you to poorer uh, recovery. So your bones won't heal as quickly. You'll be more susceptible to stress fractures. You'll get more yep. of these gut issues because um, your body's redirecting that um, the energy away from your internal organs and prioritizing it and prioritizing exercise. And so it's not digesting as well. It's not... Um, functioning with the the diet that's coming in as as well and so you start getting gut issues you start developing stress fractures you start developing knee pain because um you're depleting that energy and all that energy storage and so, so that would be my overarching um that, answer to nutrition and why that's so important you na- you absolutely nailed that <laughs> that was a you, you knocked that question out of the park so <laughs> That was no, that's really good, comprehensive. I think um, it's so it's it's a real bugbear of mine. You know, the number of people that they want to do these depletion runs or they want to do they they you know go f- be fasted and things like that. And I'm always I'm so anti that. You know what I mean? I I would say that I if I describe myself as anything, I'm a balanced vegetarian, if that's a word. I like yep. to eat a balanced diet. <laughs> it, it means eating basically mostly nutrient-rich foods, um, good like lots of it and lots of good food, and eating the right amount of protein when I walk in the door after a run. I eat on my runs all the time, pretty much. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, so if it's anything more than 10 kilometers, I or maybe anything, yeah, no, yeah, so if I get to like an hour, I basically will have at least something small to eat, you know what That's I mean? Right. So, um, and so, and then on my longer runs, I'm practicing my race, my race day nutrition all the time. So I'm trying out different, uh, things and I, and different foods and, and whatnot. And I just, I feel like 
I do recover better because I've been eating during the run as well. I, I don't I don't get to the end of the run and I'm absolutely drained. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so I think I can bounce back and run again the next day, which is what I want to do. You, you and it's wanna... a tough. It's really tough to try and answer for for the whole population out there because when it comes to diet, like everyone responds completely different to different types of foods and people have different like intolerances and the ways that they um, uh, process that food. And that's why it's like if, if you were to ask the question, what's the best diet for a runner to have, you don't like I can't answer that. I don't think anyone can answer that because yeah. like I said, the starting issue, when people Google like um, stuff about <laughs> diet, they would come up with so many different stuff and there's this vegan, yeah. vegetarian, there's um, carnivore diets, keto, uh, you yeah. know, intermittent fasting, all that sort of stuff. It's just you you actually can't find the answer and it is very much so. And I'd say the best answer that I can give is um, try try something yourself and just make small tweaks here and there and see if you feel better. Try it for a couple of weeks, see if you feel better, see if you feel better. And um, yeah, because it's going to, as long as you're being sensible, like when it comes down to it, I think it's healthy eating and I think everyone knows what healthy eating yeah. is, but making yeah. sure that you feel recovered, making sure that you feel like you can perform, make sure that you're um, your gut kind of um, processes and your bowel movements and like you're just feeling really good. Um, yeah. I think that's going to be the complicated answer, but um, right. the necessary answer. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And look, there's no, and I, I know a lot of people are looking for some kind of hack to improve their running, you know, like, you know, just sort of, but there's nothing is going to change it. You know, th- the principles are a, a, a balanced diet. Yeah. Regardless of which method you take, if you you know if you want to be a vegan or or a carnivore, I mean I, I guess it's hard to be balanced if you're a carnivore or you know like, <laughs> but um you know what I mean like and then um we have all balanced diet, balanced training with you know rest and recovery, and um and high intensity, low intensity, and you know that's it. it, it there's a, it's fairly, relatively simple. But there's, when you get into the minutia, it gets super complicated. Yeah. You know, like and, and people I, are looking for the easy answer. People are looking yeah. for what. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what to eat. It's not yeah. that simple. No, exactly. My best bit of advice is do eat. You know, definitely yeah. eat. You know, and the num. You know, because I've I've had runners that they'll go, oh, I did my my long run on the weekend. It was twenty five. Oh, I was thirty k's. I got to about twenty five, and I was just so tired. I don't know what was wrong with me. And I'm like, well, what did you, how much did you drink? Oh, 200 mils? Not enough. Mm. How much did you eat? Oh, eat? I didn't eat. I didn't yeah. think I had to. And it's like, no, you've got to eat, you know? And um, you've got to, in, so it's, yeah, it, it does. It's it's interesting. Like, it's become so popular, as we said earlier. But So we've got to do it properly. And I, you want people to live a healthy life, you know? And, and you want their sport, this sport, to be a part of that healthy lifestyle you know it's not you know sometimes i mean i do it i have to step back from what i do sometimes in my running and go is this impacting my everyday life like is my training am i obsessing over it so much that i'm not resting properly i'm not eating properly you know i'm more than just a runner you know i've got to have live outside of this bubble sometimes yeah so yeah but um 
Sorry, carry on. Um, I was going to say, like, personally speaking, like, I do intermittent fasting two to three times a week, and that was, like I said before, you just need to test and tweak these things. It's something that I've tried, and once I've tried, I felt so much better for it. That's not the answer because intermittent fasting might not work for other people, and I make sure that if I do these hard sessions, um, I'm making sure that I'm not fasting. I have trial and error it a couple of times, and if I do fast and have a big workout, uh, I do get lightheaded and it's kind of like a, a sickness, a heady kind of symptom and so that's yeah. not good for me. And like you said, yeah. if someone has a big workout, it's input versus output. If you feel fatigued at the last part of your endurance run, well, where's where are you getting that energy from? It's literally, if you can calculate input versus output and um, I know intermittent fasting has helped my guts, I do have a few like intolerance issues and that's really helped me um, for general health. But you need to be smart when it comes to the performance side of things, especially for your community talking about trails and talking about ultras. They need to be very smart about it. Yeah. No, you're right. No, it's interesting. Um, we've talked a fair bit about um, recovery and nutrition and we started at, at injury and um, – but it's okay it's all it's all relevant and it all sort of ties in together in one fashion or another but i figure while i've still got you i'd like to um go circle back to injury um and one of the things that another common injury that i get a lot of people asking me about and and, you know again you can google lots of things plantar fasciitis and you know you know is there what can you tell us about it? I mean, we know a lot of every, nearly every runner has had it at some point or is dealing with it even as we speak. You know, like I've I've had low levels where it's where I've been able to run, I kept running and I probably shouldn't have kept running, but it never luckily it never really um, impacted me too badly. But some people it stops them running for months. Yeah, I'm glad you asked this question because um, I did like a huge deep dive into plantar fasciitis and evidence and research um, just yesterday because I was on um, these Facebook groups and so many plantar fasciitis um, posts that are out there, people, you know, six plus months, 12 plus months, what do I do, what do I do, this hasn't helped, Um, what are the answers? And I thought to myself, I need to do a couple of episodes on this. So I'm just in the process of planning a um, two episode like mini series on plantar fasciitis, so I'm um, fresh on the knowledge. <laughs> um, right. I would say, um, do, do you want to talk about like if someone has plantar fasciitis, what they should do about it? Is that what we want to start I guess with? Yes, the um, yeah most logical place to start from. So I've come to you. Oh, plantar! I've got this pain in my heel. I think it's plantar fasciitis. Google tells me it's plantar fasciitis. So I put it, I stood on a golf ball for a while. What do I, is yeah. that, you know, you know, that's generally what the treatment that people will go to pretty quickly. I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, correct diagnosis is the first and foremost, like you don't want to have a calcaneal stress fracture and think it's plantar fasciitis. Nothing's yeah. going to work no matter what advice I give. Um, but let's just say it is the correct diagnosis and it is very characteristically um, pain towards the heel on the inside of the heel, like the undersurface of that heel bone, um, is in the acute phases usually um, isolated to that one area. Sometimes if it's quite chronic or quite 
um, severe, it can start to slowly spread, but more characteristically, it is on the undersurface, on the inside of that heel, and characteristically painful for the first few steps in the morning, um, and can yes. be quite, um, it can ease off with running the more you've warmed up and the more you move around, um, and by the end of like a long run or barefoot walking or something like that with a lot of strain on the plantar fascia, that can cause irritation. So let's just say it is plantar fasciitis. It's the um, correct diagnosis. The first thing we want to do if it is pain-driven is to try and settle yep. down that pain as much as you can. And I like to use um, some like gel insoles into people's shoes um, just throughout the day when they're walking around, making sure they're aware of... Um, any like if bare feet or walking in thongs is really stirring them up, making sure they're minimizing that for the short term and just trying to take them away from all these pain provocating areas because you can have so many different levels of irritability. Some people can be totally fine throughout the day. It's only if I'm um, playing uh, like backyard cricket barefoot or if I'm um, running on the beach or something that will flare it up. Um, huge demands on the plantar fascia. But then others down the other side of the spectrum, if they walk for half an hour, that flares them up. So you really need to determine what their level of tolerance is and modify things throughout the day in order to um, settle down that as much as we can. So if it's pain-driven, then we're going to try and settle the pain down as much as it can. Taking away from compression, so... Um, I like putting people in runners instead of like flat, thin work shoes and um, giving them a little bit of support, giving them a heel, like a gel insert to slide yeah. into their shoes and that really calms down the plantar fascia as much as it can and uh, trying to limit their standing still or the uh, duration of walking um, and then hopefully in the short term that those morning stiffness signs start to settle and then we get them into a gradual loading program. And I'm not I'm not too sure where I am on uh, the benefits of stretching. There's older evidence to show stretching is really good, but then there's newer evidence that compares stretching with strengthening. And um, yeah, the, right. like the strengthening has came out on top with that one. And there's a, a protocol like a probably um, site, and there is. Um, they started people with 12, uh, they had six months of plantar fasciitis and they got them through, um, some education. They put them on in those heel insoles, uh, the gel insoles and then got them on a strengthening program as well. And it was to perform, um, calf raises with a towel under their toes. So their toes are up in extension, if that makes sense. And then you're coming yeah. up onto your, um, onto the balls of your foot and raising the yep. heels to put stress under the plantar fascia. But they do really heavy load. They do um, uh, three sets, 12 reps, and it's your 12 rep max, so quite heavy right. stuff. And yeah. um, you do that slowly up for three seconds, hold two seconds at the top, go down for three seconds, and do 12 reps and um, repeat that. I can't remember how many times a day it was. I think it was maybe twice a day, and uh, slowly as the weeks go on, you progress that load and slowly get to your eight rep max. So over the course of about six yeah. weeks, you go to eight rep max, um, and then they did five, they slowly transition. So by the end, they're doing five sets, eight reps of those double um, 
double heel calf raises with the the towel under the toes and yeah that seems yeah. to be really effective for plantar fasciitis so there was good good research on that good evidence for success yeah. yeah yeah oh that's interesting would you recommend people try that on their own or would you prefer them to go and visit a physio or someone who is a bit or a, or a personal trainer who can at least guide them in that well, the physio people... can um, help with accurate diagnosis to start with. You don't want to start a program like this if it's the wrong diagnosis. And then you want to make sure that um, the the, modific- the daily modifications to get you out of that pain state um, is done adequately. And so a physio would really help like giving you the right direction moving forward because the level of irritability is so vast in plantar fasciitis, it will really depend on what advice is given. Um, you might need to change your shoes. You might need to, um, yeah, just modify things throughout the day. So that that would give you the best start, I guess. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, I think there's a, a lot in that for people. Uh, it's encouraging because I know it can people can, I mean, any injury makes people feel very despondent, but I feel like there's, no injury more frustrating than plantar fasciitis because it's it's sort of like you feel like you can almost do something. You can almost go for a run or you can almost, you know, and then it just, it's whereas if you like get a stress fracture, it's like, okay, I can't do anything, you know, like, but yeah. at least it's that one, it's like you're so close to being able to get out the door. And um, so, yeah. Um, talk no, about ex- this this concept. It's called the the pain rest weakness downward spiral that people go down, and it's yeah. Um, once people are in pain, they want to rest for a week or two, and then they want to get back into the level of running that they were in. But that triggers more pain, and so they rest. And the more rest they have, the weaker that tolerance gets for those structures, and so the less you can tolerate, and so you rest again and then you go back to it and it flares up and you rest again and you just get weaker and weaker and weaker and the tolerance becomes less and less and less. And it's funny that you mentioned plantar fasciitis because that downward spiral can get so far down to the point where they can't walk for 10 minutes without pain or they can't yeah. walk at all in thongs or in bare feet and it's um, it's just so irritated and you talk through a patient's history and they say, look, I used to run 10 Ks and now I've got the plantar fasciitis. Um, I could run eight Ks and it'd be a little bit sore, um, but I could tolerate that well. But then as soon as you walk through the history, you can see their tolerance is getting lower and lower and lower. And then it's like, oh, but then I could run um, two Ks, but only in supportive shoes. And then I could walk for an hour, but only in supportive shoes. And now, you know, and you just, the tolerance can get to the point where now I can't walk barefoot, you know, for any yeah, duration. It's interesting. Um, and returning, I know we're running, getting close to running out of time, but um, there's just um, one more thing I wanted to ask you about. I could um, could talk to you for ages, mate, and I know the listeners will love it. I could talk for um, ages, I swear. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Um, just going back, so when I had my... Uh, my stress reaction in my femur back in, it was actually in late June last year, uh, when I was, I was training to run a six hour race and, um, which is on the track where you run around and around for six hours and you run as far as you can. And so it was, I was doing a fair bit in that time, a fair bit of like, um, mix, really mixing my training up, lots of, not a lot of hills, a lot of flat stuff, a lot of re- very repetitive in terms of, you know, forcing forces, getting up over a hundred kilometers a week. Um, 
and yeah, I got that pain. And, and I went and saw when I had the MRI and got the diagnosis and um, my physio, you know, he basically gave me a, a path to recovery, which I found at first it was so frustrating, but I, I did something really funny and really unusual. I followed my physio's advice all the way through. Outrageous. Outrageous. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's controversial, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's really, like I said, I tried, I tried to learn from it and it made a huge difference. And so basically he said, and because I was a, a relatively fit person to begin with, return back, getting back from the injury. So I had to, no running. Luckily, because it wasn't an actual stress fracture, I could start doing something after a couple of weeks, really light, small mileage. You know, my first week back, I ran, I think, so I had one full week of no running. Then the next week was like 10 kilometers. I was in the whole, spread out over the whole entire week. And basically from there on, I was only allowed to increase my load in terms of mileage run by somewhere between 10 and 20% at the maximum. And so I followed that philosophy. And so it took me a while to get up to um, a mileage that I saw as decent, but it, uh, it served me well. And so is that a, a like a percentage of return to load that you would adopt? Like, would you... Yeah, it depends on um, the risk-benefit kind of ratio, what they need to return to, what rate they need to get back to, how much it means to them, um, to how much risk we apply. Um, Twenty, Any more than 20% would um, start to increase that risk. And um, yeah. the conservative, like the evidence that the gurus teach is 10%, but that is super, super conservative, especially if your mileage is starting really, really low. Um it's so hard yeah. to, to slowly build that up from 10%. It's almost unrealistic. So it's yeah. working within those parameters and making sure if you do go, say, a 20% jump, the next day has to be a recovery day. Um, yeah, but it's it's working with the patient. It's not just giving them the numbers. It's working alongside them um, and adapting on a day-to-day -day basis. But if we wanted to um, try and talk numbers, I think 15 15 to 20 percent if your mileage is really low is um a pretty reasonable amount um yeah and if you're say doing 100 k's a week at the moment then maybe 10 percent increases are a bit more reasonable yeah absolutely well it worked for me and i i have to say those first couple of weeks felt really frustrating because i felt like i could have done more but um i did hold back and and i actually adopt this philosophy now whenever i return to um after a big race so, as I said to you at the start, I've done a couple of hundred kilometer races recently and um, I jump back in. Usually the following week, I'll do no more than 20 kilometers and most of that's like run, walk sort of stuff just to let my body, oh, the massive load that's been on my body, just, just slowly recover. And then um, I'll go 10 to 15% the first couple of weeks and then build up 20% um, for a few more weeks until I get back up to decent mileage because I want to try and strike that balance and this is another thing we could talk about um but going back to getting maximizing my fitness from that race you know and and but but not returning too quickly to training you know what i mean like getting finding that sweet spot where i'm i've still sort of you know what i mean like you come out of it you do a big race and there's a, there's a definitely a training stimulus that comes out of a big race and um but if you don't if you come back too quickly you'll get injured but if you don't come back quick enough 
you don't get to capitalize on that training, on that that training stimulus. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah. Absolutely. So, Might be another so, can of worms that we can open another time. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So no, it's um, but no, it's it's all very interesting, and I I think um, no, it's been really useful, and I I certainly guarantee that people will uh, get a lot out of this this conversation that we've had. Um, and so aside from before we wrap up, aside from the your podcasts that you mentioned earlier, is there anywhere else that the that people can find you? Um. I'm pretty active on Instagram, so my handle is brody.sharp, and so sharp with an E on the end. Uh, yep. I do offer online physio for runners, um, and they can go to my website if they want to learn more about that, and it's uh, breakthroughrunning.physio is the website. Um like if people want to, they can um, jump onto my Facebook group and it's become a smarter runner if you type that in. Um, and then, yeah, just the podcast if you want to continue learning on your running knowledge and um, growing your wisdom and working towards injury prevention. Um, I'm having a lot of fun uh, researching and publishing more episodes and, yeah, just delivering yeah. as much information as I can. Like I said, I don't hold back. I don't um, hold back any secrets and um, – yeah. Great. I think that's the, a better position for me to be in. It feels really good. It's fantastic, mate. And um, just um, I think what you're doing is a, it's a really good service to the running community as well because, you know, at least they know that you're a reputable source. You, you, look, at, um, you look at the real evidence. You're not just going off and you've got the, 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 you know, the qualifications. So you're not just spouting the latest fad, you know. You're not just talking about whatever fad bullshit is out there. So really good, <laughs> man. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it, mate, and um, I guess hopefully we talk again really soon. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm excited to have you on my podcast as well. We can talk about um, endurance stuff and ultras and trails, and I'm excited to get your take on things as well. Wonderful. All right, cheers, Brody. Thank you very much, Daniel.